do that with all my Garth Brooks CDs. He's not on iTunes. Still have <laughs> I feel like I feel like you're serious. No, he's he's definitely <laughs> serious. <laughs> I got. I love Garth. I like. Oh, come on. I guess that's not the right crowd here. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 11 of The Bright Side. We have a jam-packed show for you tonight, jam-packed with guests. Starting off first, we have Johnny Man, Johnny Hockey, as always. Johnny, how are you, sir? I am so happy, so excited. Flyers hockey's finally changing for the first time in a decade. People are still finding things to complain about, but I'm okay. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great. Aren't they always going to complain? That's Twitter for you. Joined, as always, by... Jimmy, James, James at HW. James, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm I'm stoked. We have a great guest, and uh, it looks like the Flyers are, you know, going to try to turn the page here. Yeah, and let's get to that guest now. Joining us for the first time on the bright side is Flyers radio guy of Flyers Daily and local metalhead Jason Martinez. Jason, thank you so much for joining the show. How are you, sir? Uh, no problem, man. I'm happy to join. I want to talk some talk some hockey and. Count down the days. We're like 78 days away from the season or something. No, I think we're less than that now. I think we're around, I want to say 76. Let me bring up my countdown app here live on the program. <laughs> Do you really have the <laughs> countdown app? Oh, yeah. 77 days. Damn, I was close. See that? Countdown Flyers, time, Canucks, October 15th, oh, 7 yeah. p.m. Oh, let's go. 21 hour or 77 days, 21 hours, 45 minutes, and now 30 seconds on my mark. Mark. Not soon <laughs> enough. But who's counting? Seven, 77 days from seeing this brand new Philadelphia Flyers team. They're going to look a whole lot different from last year. So I guess we'll just kind of dive right into these acquisitions. One that's been really forgotten since they made a lot more controversial trades, but it's definitely the biggest, is the Flyers add Nashville defenseman Ryan Ellis. They trade away forward Nolan Patrick and defenseman Philip Myers. And I got to say, it was pretty much a home run trade from anyone on the Philadelphia side. It seems a little bit risky from the Nashville side, but I think it makes the Philadelphia defense a whole lot better. Uh, what do you guys think? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I look at it and I go, okay, well, we talked about this a thousand times. Like when you have a season, an absolute gong show season like they had, and you go, okay, what are the issues, right? What are what, what do they have to change this offseason? The number one issue was – Right side, right shot, top pairing D-man. And you accomplish that. And what, Look, you gave up two young guys, one a number two overall pick that just, for whatever reason, he's got all the talent in the world, but he has no compete level at all. He wants to just stay on the perimeter of the, of the you know, especially in the offensive zone, not go to any area where he's going to get contact. And I don't think that that's just because of he's had some concussions. I just think that that's a compete issue. And then Phil Myers, who is a freak athlete, but let's just say that he doesn't think the game real well. You know, like last year, was there was one game where, like, you guys know this. This is such a simple thing in hockey. Like, when when the opposition is rushing through the neutral zone, you want to play inside the dots and give them the outside. This dude was hanging by the door twice, and they just jumped inside like a matador. Like, like I don't want to say that's stupid because – it is. I mean, you don't ever give the middle of the ice, and he did it repeatedly in one game. He was ultimately scratched the next, like, two games after that. Because, I mean, you say it from, like, Pee Wee on, like, guys, play inside the dots. Give him the outside. And, just, and that's been the thing that's held Phil back, a little bit of his decision-making in hockey IQ. And we'll see how he develops. But, yeah, when you check that box right away, then that's a good start. That That's where you had to start. 
because anything you did this offseason, if you didn't check that box, you were it, w- it was basically a fait accompli that you weren't going to be much better because you have to be able to limit top lines in the NHL. Something two years ago, they did really well when Matt Niskanen was here. Gave up the seventh least amount of goals in the league. And then this past year, we all saw it. And who who feasted on them? Top lines. The Bergeron line just destroyed them. The Zabanajad line in New York destroyed them. I mean, he had back-to-back six-point games against Flyers. <laughs> and then you look at, I mean, even the Islanders and even the Devils, every team's got a good top line. And if you can't minimize the damage they can do, you're dead. And that's... And that's what they accomplished first and foremost by getting Ellis. Yeah, I agree. And not only getting Ryan Ellis, but getting him at a 6.5 cap hit where we saw other top defensemen that are right shot going for at least 9 million, 9.5. So it'll fit well into the cap and, you know, gives them the ability to to add players around them. Uh, Johnny, did you have something to chime in with? I mean, it's just funny that, that Jason brings up uh, Phil Myers and his, you know, willingness to give up the neutral zone so you know, so quickly, especially given how big he is his reach and his gap, con- how like his gap control is so poor. And, and and when you look at the two guys we've gotten, sorry if I'm jumping ahead a little bit with the other acquisition, but with Ellis and Ristolainen, those are two guys who on an expedited like counterattack, like offensive rush, they can slow them down by using their bodies and using their stick effectively. And I think that is one of the, well, that was one of a very many, a very long list of you know, problems with the defense last year. But, you know, I just think that getting rid of Phil Myers, like Jason said, just based off of that quality alone can do so much, especially with given how aggressive, you know, our some of our defense from like San and Pro Rob can be on occasion. Yeah, I agree. And since you mentioned, let's jump right into that fucking Twitter mess that is Rasmus with the line. so you have. Oh, is there something going on with that? I didn't know. <laughs> Oh you, got, you have two very different sides to this debate. There is the complete analytic side that is saying that this is the worst acquisition the Flyers could have made. And sure, they paid a heavy price for the player. But when you have Oscar Lindblom, the only person on your team that's going to fight, when when you are not boxing out people in front of the net, when you're not willing to get physical, you could really use a guy like Rasmus. And that's the other side where, you know, this team was tired of getting pushed around and you need a big body. So, uh, Jason, what are your thoughts on the uh, line and debate and acquisition? Well, that's exactly what I brought up, too. And look, I, I believe that analytics have a place. My issue is with the people that believe analytics is religion. And that's where I got a problem. To me, it's got to be a combination of of eye test and analytics to, to reinforce things. But I, I have a problem with the analytics people who want to make sweeping judgment. Look, I saw one of those analytics uh, guys on Twitter say that, you know, Goals and points are one of the most overrated stats in evaluating a player. And I I nearly blew a top. Like, come on, that's as stupid a a take as you'll ever get. And that's the problem. Like, the game, analytics are giving certainty answers to an equation. But there is nothing that the game is. There's no team sport or flow sport that that lacks certainty like hockey. You know, all of them lack certainty, like basketball. There's a, you know, there's flow to it and there's variables that can't be measured with stats. And the same thing goes with hockey. And, you know, a lot of times the analytics community, because maybe they didn't play the sport or they didn't play sports at any level or a significant level, they want to add the certainty to the sport because they don't have firsthand knowledge 
of what it feels like on the field of play, the sheet of ice, the hardwood, whatever it is. And you just can't do that. That's why you can't rely on it on its own. There's so many things. Analytics lack context to me. They, they don't take a lot of really important elements of the game into account. So when I look at Rasmus, I go, okay, are you weighing the fact that, you know, 63% of his starts were in the D zone and he was on a top pair since the time he was 19 and he was on a team that sucked. I mean, it wasn't bad, horrible, but I mean, Buffalo is one of the worst franchises, not in the NHL, in pro sport. So you have to take all of those things into occasion. Like, was Ryan O'Reilly a fucking loser when he played there? Or did he just get sucked up in the loserness that is Buffalo? I think we've seen the answer since. The dude's a fucking stud, right? And I'm not saying Rasmus Ristolainen is Ryan O'Reilly, but it's amazing. When everybody gets out of there, they seem to perform better. Taylor Hall went there. Why? I don't know. I, I think he was serving out a sentence. And he scored two goals this season in Buffalo. Two fucking goals. I mean, anybody can score two goals. Catch one off the rump, another one off the skate, right? You're playing with Jack Eichel most of the season. Then he leaves, and he goes to Boston, and he plays pretty well. So it's just, look, somebody said this to me one time. If the doctor gives you two weeks to live, move to Buffalo. It'll feel like a fucking eternity, right? (laughs) And so that's Buffalo. And, I, like, he brings something to the table that is needed. And like you mentioned, when Oscar Lindblom, there were two fights this year, Oscar Lindblom and Joel Farabee. Like, Lord, oh, Lord, is it, if you want to look up a soft team in hockey, that's it. Not good on those guys for doing what they did. But that can't be the case. And like I had Rasmus on Flyers Daily. He was on the episode that came out on Wednesday. And he said, he said, I hope there's no kids listening, but I like to be a piece of shit out there. Like he wants, he just wants to drive people crazy. And I just think of a guy like that and I go, man, imagine what that kind of, that prick's like playing against in a seven game series. You stay in Buffalo, you'll never find out because they don't make the playoffs. But if you make the playoffs with a player like that, and let me just bring up this. I, I was texting with a current player. I don't want to give out his name because he asked me not to. Um, but I, I've talked about this message that I got from them, uh, from this player. And this is a highly skilled player that's played in the league for a long time. And I, I was asking this player about analytics in regards to guys like Rasmus Ristolainen or Tom Wilson or whoever. And this player said this really simple. Now, this is a very accomplished NHL player. He said, hockey is simple until you over-evaluate it. There's no analytics for fear when you're on the ice. Because when you ha- you can have all the skills in the world, but they're all taken away with fear. Tough teams have more room to make plays. Make sense? And don't quote me on this. That's what he said. So what does he mean? Well, if you know that a guy's going to put you on your keister or he's going to be incredibly physical, sometimes maybe even dirty, then you're going to be thinking about that more than just, you know, playing against the Flyers. I talked to Danny Breer on Friday when we did our draft show. I said, Danny, what does Rista Line do for a player like you? He goes, I love it because if I'm at our offensive end of the ice and I'm in front of the net and I'm getting hammered, cross-checked and just – getting a rough ride everything I do. And then I look down at our end and the guys are down there setting up shop with an umbrella and a margarita because nobody's being physical because that's deflating to me. When you got a guy like that, it makes everybody bigger. It makes everybody stronger. And there's accountability on the ice and they needed that. And 
not only that, but if he's not playing top top pair minutes, you saw it last year. What was it like when Phil Myers was on the top pair? He wasn't ready for that. What was it like when Shane Gossespierre played on the top pair? That's playing over your head. You can't do that in the NHL. It's too unforgiving. So put him in a second pair role. I think it's a totally different ball game for him. Is he going to be an analytics darling next year? Probably not. But what he's going to bring to the table that analytics cannot cannot put measurables on or stats on is going to be more significant than the negative analytics of zone entries and zone exits and all that bullshit. That's my thoughts. I 100% agree, and that's a very good take, and I love the quote from this anonymous player because you really can't account for, you know, fear on the ice. Uh, James, I know you are not a big fan of the trade nor the player. Have any of your feelings changed since you've had time to kind of take a breath and, you know, really, really see what Rasmus's role would be in Philadelphia as opposed to Buffalo? Yeah, a little bit. And, uh, you know, if, if you've listened to some of our shows in the past, I'm a proponent for, you know, big hulking guys are, that aren't afraid to throw the body. And, you know, as Jason said, this Rasmus was quoted as saying he wants to be a piece of shit out there. And, hey, we all played sports. That's kind of how I was when I played. It, people, what, what the analytics don't show, and Jason mentioned it, is a lot of playing sports is mental, right? There's the actual game. There's the physical game. But if if I'm imposing my will over you, you're not going to play to your best ability because you're either going to be afraid or, or you're thinking too much. And the Flyers didn't have anybody on their team that made the other opposition think twice. You know, guys on the third and fourth line would come into games against Philly and they'd be hungry to score because they knew that they could. Right. And that's the sign that you're a bad team when the, when the um, when the lower guys on the totem pole. Get excited to play you because they got a shot at scoring uh, tonight. And I don't think that's going to be the case anymore. Um, I, I am a little bit worried. Uh, I wonder how he's going to work with Travis Sanheim on the second pair. But, you know, um, I'm hoping for the best and, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think the one thing you said that was so right to Jim was some of it's, so much of it's between your ears. Look at the guy they sent out of town for ryan ellis yeah like that is between like he's got skill nolan patrick's got skill upon, on top of skill good skater big body great hands high hockey iq none of it means dick if you got no belly yep. if you're not going to work your bag off it doesn't matter if you're going to be a perimeter player in a league where you got to get to the house it doesn't matter and that's that's in between his ears and that's limiting his career. All that skill doesn't matter if you don't have the will. And he doesn't have the will. Rest of line. And I mean, the other thing that he said when he was on the podcast, he goes, I don't care what my role in it, role is on this team. I don't. I don't care if I'm on the power play. I just want to do whatever I can to help the team make the playoffs and go on a run. That's all I care about. So he's not like he's going to be like, well, I played, for, I played first, first minutes pairing Buffalo minute, minutes in Buffalo. I don't care about that. Just wants to win. He hasn't done any of that in Buffalo. They needed more guys like that in, in this locker room. And yeah, I'm not going to say anything negative about the guys that left, but for me, there's a common denominator between. Uh, I'm not going to say anything negative about Voracek because I don't know if it's true, but you know, a guy like Ghost who who's had confidence issues, Nolan Patrick who you know we're questioning you know if he, if he actually wanted to play or uh, if he's got the cojones for it, uh, and then Phil Myers who. 
hey, the skill might be there, but he's a project, you know, uh, mentally. Maybe he doesn't think the game the right way. To me, it's not a coincidence. They moved out three guys like that, and they brought in guys like Ristolainen, Ellis, Atkinson, who I'm sure we're going to get to in a little bit. Uh, even You can even say Nate Thompson and Keith Yandel. The, to me, it's not a coincidence. Chuck was on a mission to change that locker room, and he did it. Yeah, one thing about that, too, um, you know, being around the team, obviously I wasn't around them this past year because of the pandemic, and we were just limited in, in our interaction with them. But and I was talking to somebody about this earlier today, somebody else that covers the team. And I just said, man, the, the vibe is going to be so much different in the room because there was Chuck used the word malaise. There was a malaise in the room. There was it was all too predictable, like every element of it, like every guy knew how to get to the rink without using Google Maps. You know what I mean? Yeah, everybody, <laughs> like yeah. You, want guys, you, you want everybody to feel their own comfortable at points. And, every, and everybody was here for so long. It was. Hey, you know where the pisser was when you went to the rink or, you know, you know, you felt comfortable with everything and just, you know, putting ghost on waivers last year made people a little uncomfortable. But after seeing all the faces that are gone, it's going to make everybody a little uncomfortable. And frankly, they need a little bit of discomfort. You know who I want to mention? I'm sorry, guys, before we move on a little bit, I'm wondering what I was thinking about this the other day when Claude Drew walks into the locker room. You know, next year or come training camp and he sees respected players like Atkinson, Ellis, uh, a new face in, in the rest of the line and um, even Nate Thompson being back. I'm wondering if he feels any so, any sort of rejuvenation or, or maybe he feels a little bit more uh, not so comfortable anymore. He's not seeing his buddy Jake. It's not going to be the same old thing. What kind of difference could that make for him? You know, huge difference. Yeah, it's, it's something else I've talked about, too. It's it's because of the way Chuck has articulated what he was looking for this offseason before the moves and since the moves. I think it I think so much of being a general manager and a coach is psychology. And yeah. he talked about it. He said, if I would if I keep coming back with the same thing year after year and, and expecting different results, then I'm the fool. Something had to change. We had to change the dynamic. And now the dynamics change. And by the way, he termed everything about the malaise, about the slow starts. He said, before I got, since I've been here and reportedly before I got here about the slow starts, it's unacceptable. What it did was they, they made a lot of changes, but the unacceptable part is in perpetuity. Like, guys, I'm not firing the coach. Mm-hmm. You got to get this right or you're next. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And I think that puts everybody on notice. So if you survived this round of this offseason, doesn't mean you're going to finish the season here. Well, uh, speaking of guys who didn't survive the offseason, let's get to the next big move that Philadelphia made. We uh, we thought a core shakeup was coming, and boy, did it ever come in the second round of the NHL draft, where Flyers ship out veteran Jake Voracek for Columbus veteran Cam Atkinson. And, you know, two players only months apart. Very, very different players in how they act off the ice and on. And uh, Jason, are you excited to see? I know you had Cam, yeah, Cam Magnuson on Flyers Daily, correct? Yeah, I had him on my radio show initially right after the trade happened on Saturday. And, um, you know, Cam, from what I knew about Cam before was he was just always one of those guys with a big smile on his face. And with, you know, he's been in the league 10 years now. So he's in that position being 32 years old. You're right, same age as Jake. But he's in that position of, OK, I've been in the league a long time right now. I'm established. I've made a lot of money and I got, I'm got i under contract, but I want to win. 
And they've won one round of the playoffs in Columbus, right? So he was, you know, his excitement to be coming here was so infectious to me. It was like, this guy just, he can't wait to get here. I think it really helps that he has some pretty close friends on the team. Like he played co- collegiate at BC with um, with Kevin Hayes and was in the same class as his brother Jimmy. Played with Yandel as well. Now the Yandel's here. That he wasn't there at the time when I spoke to him. But um, and then he's friends with James Van Riemsdyk, who he's played with. Um, he's best friends. His family is best friends with Scott Hartnell because they played together in Columbus and their wives are best friends. So they are totally. He's coming into a situation where he's got some some people around and a support system to go to a new city. Um, and I always say happy wife, happy life. If she's moving to the area where, where her best friend lives, that's a good start for him to worry about hockey and not worry about if the wife is adjusting, right? Uh, with the kids and everything. And their kids are the same age as, as Scotty Hartnell. So uh, all those things are good. But yeah, I think it, it, I was a little shocked by the trade in the sense that there was no money retained. Um, you know, they took on an extra year of term with Cam, but the, the cap hit, they're saving $2.35 million in the cap hit total, um, which is big. So basically that's for four years. And then the fifth, they'll have a, a player under contract. But I, I think he also brings what they're looking for, you know, a guy that shoots first and asks questions later. How many two-on-ones and three-on-ones this last season did they have where they came away with it without a shot on goal? No, you shoot, you shoot, you shoot. No, here, you shoot. Like, somebody shoot the fucking puck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, nobody wanted to shoot. Everybody wanted to set everybody up for the perfect shot. Like, sometimes you guys just simplify. And even if you don't have a good scoring chance, just put the puck on the goalie's pads. P.O.P. Puck on pad, boys. And the other guy's driving, especially if you're coming down the left wing. And then guy down the right wing on the two-on-one is driving the net. Low shot on the pad. You know that guy's driving to the middle of the net. No, they try and shoot it short side. Shoot it wide. Oh, jeez. Three-on-one. Shot it wide. So I, he brings a lot of elements that – and, look, he's another guy with Ellis, with Ristolainen, with Keith Yandel that all wore a letter on their jersey. So I think that – I think that's also an area where Chuck was like, okay, we need more character. Didn't have enough. Not that Jake didn't have it because Jake did. But there are players that didn't. Like Ghost, I don't think did. I thought he was selfish. So. Yeah. That's my um Talk about a guy who shoots first, 41 goals in 2018-2019, and then haven't, hasn't played a full season since, but looks to be fully healthy and, you know, playing on a team he wants to play on, which I think is a breath of fresh air for Philadelphia fans, thinking that we weren't going to be a destination for free agents. And here we have three players, Rasmus, Keith Yandel, and Atkinson, who just cannot wait to start playing in Philly. It's uh, It just feels good as a fan to know people want to come to your team because they think you're in win-now mode. Yeah, and the other thing is, like, you know, I, I always think that that thing, that notion of, oh, nobody wants to come here anymore is overblown. People wanted to come here before because there was no salary cap, and Mr. Snyder would spend every nickel he had to bring everybody here. So that was real simple. But the league's better. There's certain teams in the NHL that when they're good they're re- and when they're relevant and they're a team that is going to make the playoffs and could go on a run, it's more exciting. And the Flyers are one of those teams. They're a polarizing team. There's people outside of the city that love the Flyers, and there's a lot of people that hate them. And both of those things are good for the league. You know, like when the Rangers are good, that's good for the league. You know, when Boston's good, that's good for the league. seems like they're always good. But there's some teams that when they're good, it's good for hockey. And the Flyers are one of those teams. 
I agree. Johnny, how are you feeling about all the Flyers acquisitions that we were just mentioning? Well, when you're looking at a culture and a locker room on the ice, off the ice, you know, you Jason used a great word, and that's infectious. And that goes both ways. When talking about the malaise last year and when talking about the potential prospect of the locker room this year, when you bring in guys like Cam Atkinson and Keith Yandel, I look for I look to the times where this team's going to hit a five-game skid potentially in the season, and guys are going to come to the locker room, and it's going to be guys like Yandel and Atkinson that keeps the energy up and doesn't let things prolong into the season into a poor stretch. Like I said, five games, I'm probably like two games, because I don't think this team, if they keep the cohesiveness off the ice, can lose three games if they you know, if they're looking forward to coming to the lock or to the, yeah, to the locker room every day with those guys, I think that's so important. I think it will translate to on ice performance. I mean, I, I love how in the span of, I love how we've been begging for guys since Simmons left, since Hartman left for Philly guys to come. And that's exactly what we got. And I think in a span of either two days or three days, Ristoline and Atkinson, those are Philly guys. Those are guys that play tough, play hard. And that's, those are culture changing moves. And they're the ones we've been begging for, and they're the ones we got. And I, and I, you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the effect of those two plus Yandel, because I think it's going to make all the difference in the world, personally. Yeah, I think uh, I think we had a really exciting off season, and it's funny we were talking earlier about a uh, certain analytic folk on Twitter. I passed by a tweet from a uh, analytics site that started a poll of who had the worst off season, Chuck Fletcher or Ken Holland, and. If I can just say, Chuck Fletcher addressed the most glaring need on his team and added character to a locker room that didn't have any. Ken Holland, on the other hand, passed on a franchise goaltender in the draft and proceeded to give Mike Smith a multi-year deal and sign Cody Cece and Tyson Barry to multi-year deals on defense. So it really shows a disconnect between analytics and hockey. I'm just sports. glad I, I don't follow that that person, man. I would have lost my lid. You get out the dude. Who was it? Uh, I think it was Hockey Stats CZ, something like that. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that's that makes sense. Yeah, that, that, yeah I believe he's a Philadelphia fan also. Yeah, that that is, is absolutely in character for them. Well, he was one of the guys that responded to to what I had to say about Ristolainen and about defending him on the analytics. He's the one of the guys that came after me about that. Are you serious? So, pretty sure. Yeah. It was like it was one- him. No, it was it was him. It was it was some guy that I think quote quote tweeted uh, another another guy that, that wasn't really relevant. And then, um, yeah, some other I think other I forget. I don't, I'm not gonna name names, but yeah, like that's it's 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 the same people. And, and you know what you know what's funny about like a, a correlation between these two people is the fact that the same people who are complaining about Ristolin and his analytics are the same people who don't understand the flat cap <laughs> in regards to not, uh, like not paying three to $5 million. Like, I know we're going to get this to the signal a little bit, Josh. I'm not trying to jump you for a third, for a third line center, the three to 5 million for a third line center. You'd think those people would be good enough at math. If they love analytics to kind of surmise that we need to sign two RFAs. We can, <laughs> and, and you know, I'm, I'm going to let you hand like uh, <laughs> segue into that one because that's, I, I, I no, but you're right. Like, that's the thing. Like, they don't realize that they're saving two point three five million dollars in cap space for the next four seasons in a flat cap world with Voracek to a guy like Cam Atkinson. And the thing is, is this like, OK, 
they go, he got killed in that trade from a hockey standpoint until you deep dive into it. You know what I mean? You deep dive into it and you go, oh, Jake's a good player and he drives a lot of offense and he gets points, but the team doesn't need another pass first guy. He's not Jake Skoracek. He's Jake Assistacek. And he gets a ton of them, but they need a shot first guy, which is why the two names that he was being shopped for are Cam Atkinson thing came together really quick. The other guy was Tarasenko. And there was a deal that was trying to be worked out for those two players. One is a scorer. The other one is a playmaker. Again, you can't go down on three on ones and have three playmakers and come away with a goal because nobody wants to shoot the rock. So, uh, you know, again, it's just the, they want to add certainty to a game that lacks certainty. And uh, I don't know. It's, 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 it's fucking dizzying. It's, and it's annoying. And, it's just it's too much. Something else that I don't think they take into account. Analytics is it's a great stat. If if you're judging a player, an individual player, right? It, analytics are great to use for baseball, even though there's an you know, if you ask me, there's an argument that it's ruining the game of baseball. You can use analytics to to judge players individually. But where analytics fail, and this is to Johnny's article, it's a team sport. So you have to factor in the other four guys on the ice, I feel like. And I don't think if you want to judge a player off analytics and you don't want to factor in the other four guys, to me, it, the numbers are somewhat BS, you know, and, and they're, they're kind of picky and choosy on how they want to judge players and grade guys. And uh, it, it, it makes it hard for me to even want to use analytics because I feel like they're almost not fair in some cases, you know. Like, look, I like Charlie. Charlie O'Connor does a good job. Yeah. And I think he uses both on occasion. Obviously, he prefers analytics. And he was he was correlating Rasmus Ristolainen to Andrew McDonald, mm-hmm. which I think it and, and Charlie, like I, I want to say this to him when I see him. I, I think that's fucking idiotic because find me in Andrew McDonald's stat line of his career. We had three seasons in a row. And I said this on Twitter. I said. Mm-hmm. Find me a stat line on Twitter where he had four seasons in a row where he had over 40 points. And the guy tweeted me back. It wasn't Charlie, but somebody else tweeted me back and said, well, he was on the number one power play. Mm. Okay. Is that his, I mean, is that, is that now bad? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, he, he wouldn't have done shit if he wasn't on the power, but he was dude. Like, that's why he's not Andrew McDonald. Yeah. Like don't, the guy had four seasons. He's six, four, two thirty. Can skate like a maniac, is a fitness freak, had three, four seasons in a row over 40 points, has got a bomb for a shot, doesn't have great hockey IQ. I'm not saying he does. He's not a top pairing defenseman. But let's not act like he was Andrew McDonald. Like, that's the thing where they make these hot take type fucking proclamations, which are like, stop. You don't have to have a comparable to some mutt because you don't like the guy. You know what I mean? And I think it's just. I think it's disingenuous a lot of times and it and it's looking at these comparables and not taking into account points. Like, how do you not take that part into account? That's production. And the game is really simple to me. Like, and I understand, like, he's not great defensively, but and the game is simple. It's, hey, preventing goals is just as important as scoring them. It's a cumulative scoreboard. They get goals for the, and if you prevent goals, like Matt Niskanen when they trade for him was an analytics mutt. 
Look at the effect he had at 33. I mean, that was pronounced. He's not a great player, but he fit. And there was consistency on the top pair. And he would go out on a shift when you needed it in a game for and make nothing happen. You go, how is like making nothing happen a good thing? Because sometimes you need to go out and just calm a game down and have a shift where nothing happens. Look what happened this year. Every time they scored a goal to get within one goal or tie a game, 17 times this year, most in the NHL, they gave up a goal in a minute, within a minute. That Matt, That's where you need Matt Niskanen to go out and do what? Make nothing happen, positive or negative. And that's how you get control of a game. It's funny. It's funny that you mentioned the um, what's called the, the power play argument against Ristolainen. People say, "Oh, you got those points on the power play." It's like people will go out of their way to f- take away his competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. Like that's part of what makes him a good and feasible hockey player. Yeah. Like like, and then they'll shove like a Corsi number in your face about his defense and things like that. And it's like, well, like uh, part of what I mentioned in in like what my argument for Ristolainen was the fact that you're just looking at like a like without getting too technical, a Corsi is. It's basically shot differential shots for shots against when you're on the ice. Yeah. Like so. So basically, like it'll, it'll reward a forward for doing his job, shot creation, shot forward. But there's no positive Corsi for a defenseman preventing a shot or using a stick like effectively or or angling them to the outside. You don't like get a positive. Who, and like who even gives a fuck about shots, right? Like exactly. I think we've seen in this league, like you can outshoot a team 42 to 17 and lose. Sometimes that's the goalie being great. Other times, yeah, they had 42 shots and they got to out. The outshoot a team 42 to 17, yet the team that had 17 had two times as many high danger chances. Like, sit there on the outside and give me clear sighted shots as a goalie all day. That's going in the backyard with my son and playing pitch and catch. That's easy. That There's nothing wrong with that. That's I'll take that all day. Every goalie in the world would tell you, I'd rather see 30 shots than see 17. Right. And then in regards to the Andrew McDonald, it's it's you can make an easy like an easier argument, in my opinion, that Ristolainen is, is diametric to McDonald. He's the opposite. McDonald. He's big. Mm-hmm. He has a larger wingspan. He has reach that that can slow down the rush. You know, he's he's strong. And I think he's strong in that front coverage. He can push the bigger forwards down. He can tie him up. He has the ability to do that. And he outbattles guys below the red lines. Andrew McDonald didn't wasn't physical, wasn't physically gifted, was poor in transition defense. And, and that's that's where like. And and Charlie's smart enough to where like he he knows that and something I respect he was on the he was on Jim's show the other day and he said that to him Ristolainen fails the eye test and I respect him saying that more than him bringing up the analytical numbers because he okay he sees that and he says he follows it closely and and things like and I I believe him but you gotta trust what you see your eyes your knowledge of the game because there's so many things that analytics doesn't account for like. A bad line change. If you just step on the ice, you're gonna get penalized, even though that's not your fault. Dash one. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like the game. We're in a you're in a game where it moves so fast that those type of things aren't infrequent. They happen, you know, every five or so shifts. You have a you know an asshole forward that's gonna make a terrible change. It's gonna leave your defense out to dry. Happens all the time. Happens at all levels. Like it's 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 not uncommon, and that's it's you can't build that into a a model and quantify that. Yeah, and and call it predictability over a long, uh, a bigger sample size it'll play out. When the Flyers lost eight to three to the Rangers that night, uh, one of the analytics guys tweeted out that the Flyers outcoursed the Rangers in the game, <laughs> and I, I mean, you should have seen the look on my face. I'm like, they lost eight to two. Who gives a shit? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, they actually had more. I they lost eight to three. 
Like, who cares? Yeah. That should tell you all you need to know about that model is that it doesn't mean anything because Corsi, while it is a lot of it's predicated on shots, four shots allowed or shot. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter because you're not also valuing the shots like not all shots are created equal. Mm-hmm. I talk about this all the time. Not all shots are created equal. They're all different. There's layered screens. There's passes that cross the slot line there where the puck gets off the stick within 0.3 of a second that like a one-timer on a cross the slot line that that has a chance an 88 higher percentage chance of going in than if the puck doesn't cross the slot line now why is that if it crosses the slot line i now as a goalie have to move the width of my crease depending on my depth how far that is and what happens when i have to move all of a sudden my body goes from this to opened up and there's all these holes how do i get them closed am i efficient in my movement when i get to the new spot am i on angle am i taking away net and am i square and then am i balanced and able to move and react on a tip or anything else that so there's all these other things that doesn't take into the equation so i I just think it's a flawed approach when you're going to measure things off shots like the flyers in the beginning of the year they got off to that great start they were like what Uh, 11 4 and 3 like at the end of February, everybody was freaking out because they kept getting out shot. I'm like, will you stop with the shots? Who cares about the shots? Well, they're not going to. They ended up sucking anyway. But it wasn't about shots. What happened when they started sucking? They were out shooting all their opponents. <laughs> they were losing. So it's not about shots. And then, and when you and you bring up the analytical people saying how oh just expand the sample size, guys say something. Well, like. If you accumulate over games and over a season, you know, even if you expand things over time and increase the sample size, if you take a larger sample size of a, like a, like a statistic like Corsi that misses little things in a game, you're going to miss like that that misses the same things every single time in each number even though you expand it over time like the amount of Corsi scores you get. Like it's they compound instead of getting a result more accurate, you could actually make the argument that the result either stays the same or becomes more skewed because yep. they're missing more each things. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Like, if, especially in, in Ristolainen's case, where if if you have a player that stays in the same situation, what are you expecting to change? Yeah. If his environment doesn't change, if he's still playing with the same caliber caliber people around him, if he's still playing with those goaltenders that in the past eight years only two of them have ever met the benchmark of the league average and save percentage, that's that that's a lot to go into the factor that the math just doesn't add up. Who were the two that meant the benchmark? Was it probably Linus Allmark and Robin Lanner? I I can look it up. I have it real quick. I imagine uh, it's those two off the top of my head. I imagine they won't be at the benchmark is, this year with Aaron Dell and it Greg was uh, it was it was Neuverth and Lenner. Allmark Allmark oh, actually so, tied it. It was it, it, so so two surpassed it. Allmark tied it nine twelve okay. over the past. I forgot I forgot that Neuvi played there. Yeah. Wow. Stunning. I guess you could say the math is pretty ineffective. Not about it anymore. Um, so <laughs> let's move on here to <laughs> the very next signing. So Micah. yeah, Philadelphia, I believe it was Saturday morning, they announced a signing for one year with veteran defenseman Keith Yandel. We all know Keith Yandel from being best friends with Kevin Hayes on the Spit and Chicklets podcast. He's one of the most personality driven players that we have right now. He's a very outspoken guy and just seems like a great character guy and 
seems to slot in well in the third pair, and this gives Philadelphia really the chance to have Cam York kind of stew in the minors and, you know, blow the door off with the Phantoms before he's able to get a roster spot. It doesn't guarantee a rookie, you know, a position. Um, Jason, uh, what did you make of the signing of Keith Yandel, and what do you think he can bring to this team? I got lucky because we predicted it the day before um, when he got bought out. Um, Bill Meltzer and I were talking about it, and he was the guy that we both brought up and predicted that it just made too much sense. Um, you want a guy on your third pair that can be sheltered in that regard and play third pair minutes, but also has one still pretty elite skill set, and he does. It's quarterbacking a power play. So he is Shane Gostas Bear minus $3.5 million, um, but he's better defensively. He's got boatloads more character. I mean, the, the game's consecutive game streak of, what, 921 or whatever, that doesn't matter to me. That That's all in the past. You know, you're looking at the future. And, look, he, you're trying to do some things, too, to get Kevin Hayes back to year one, Kevin Hayes, and having fun. I think the pandemic affected a guy like Kevin Hayes because – I mean, he's got more personality that can fill any room. He's a total mass hole, and he would admit it. He's just loud and, you know, and, and not having the camaraderie that comes along with, you know, playing the game, I think, affects a guy like him. Plus, he was injured, but um, they need to get him back. And, and you know, with Yans there now, I mean, those two will look forward to going to the rink every day just to break each other's balls. And I can't wait. Tomorrow, I'm, I'm interviewing the two of them together. Wow for yeah, my awesome. podcast and and i'm going to do it a little bit different i'll just give people so any question that i want to ask keith i'm just going to ask kevin to answer it for keith hmm. and then any question i want to ask kevin i'm going to have yans answer it for hazy <laughs> just to kind of do something different <laughs> and i imagine it's going to be just an absolute riot because uh, those two are awesome and and um i, I think i think the signings it just makes all the sense in the world. Yance got bought out, so he wasn't looking for a big payday. And I think this is a really good situation. I think the the fit is there. It makes sense. And like you said, the Cam York part of it, you know, Cam played three really good games last year in the NHL, but, you know, he's still young. You don't want to hand some kid that. And, and at some point he'll get up, there'll be injuries, and he'll play some games next year. But with defensemen especially, I think we saw that last year. Like, don't put a kid over his head before you have to. I'd rather him play top four minutes and play 20 minutes, 21 minutes a night in the AHL next season than playing 12 minutes in the NHL. So I, the, the, the fact that Yandel helps so much in the power play, the fact that Yandel brings a ton of character and fun, I think is a big thing. And the role that he is in here in Philadelphia, I think, is perfect. Um, if things get off to a good start and those two are having fun, that's one of those, like, good waves you catch and you just ride. And I think I, I think that's a big part of it. I, I love the signing of Yandel. I really do. Plus, A.V. had him, you know, for a year and change when they went to the cup final in, in New York. Familiarity there. I, I don't think you can go wrong here. Yeah, if it doesn't work. I mean, what's the big fucking deal? It's 900 grand. It's really yeah, not. You know? there'll, be, there'll be content galore if uh, Philadelphia's on a win streak and Hayes and oh. Yandel are being a big part. <laughs> they got to mm-hmm. mic them both up for the entire season. Every game. Oh, they will. Be. They could make yeah. that an entire separate show. You know, I'm, yep. There would be people that would pay for it, too, I bet. Yeah, you should do like a Patreon. Yeah. Yans and Hazy. There you go. Another episode. Hey, you mentioned it tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> for real. That'd be fun. I mean... I mean, it would be gold, right? 
And then you get like other players on it too. And because those two are so chill, other players guard gets let down and you find out more about who they are as people, not just hockey players. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. They're an awesome pair. I remember they were, uh, they were on the spit and chicklets podcast together talking about the, uh, John Tavares free agency. And, uh, you want to talk about being an open book. I think, uh, one of the podcast hosts asked Keith Yandel, who had the biggest, and kids, I'm sorry if you're listening, the biggest dick on the New York Rangers. And uh, they both look at each other, count down together, and go, one, two, three, Longquist. <laughs> yeah. Not shocking. Not How many blessings? The guy was blessed with everything else. Why not a big root? Seriously? Yeah, really. Oh, Jesus. He's probably got, like, awful breath or something. Something be- has to be I, wrong I, with that guy. He's no, too brave. I, I, I fail to believe anything's wrong with him. Like, I, I, I can't believe He's got, that. like, really fucked up feet or something, like it went through a wood chipper. <laughs> There's something about him that's got to be fucked up, because every other part is, like, perfect. Yes. Uh, speaking of goaltenders, the Flyers finally filled a hole. Uh, did they fill the hole? What they did? Or created <laughs> Was that intentional? <laughs> that was pretty good. Well, that's part of the mastery. So Flyers finally get their backup goaltender to Carter Hart. They ink Martin Jones to a one-year, two million-dollar contract, <laughs> and uh, it, it was uh, met with some controversy because Martin's been struggling for three years in San Jose. But it seems like he's going to reunite with his old goalie coach and Kim Dillenbaugh from LA when he was a very successful backup goaltender for a Stanley Cup team. Uh, Johnny, are you feeling the Martin Jones signing? Do you think there was options out there you would have preferred? Obviously, there were options that, that I preferred, but you got to look at the economics of things. You got to look at how much, like I said before, you got to look at the, the cap space of things. And I guess this was the one that they loved the most out of the price range. I mean, I saw guys sign for the same amount elsewhere. Um, that Who else did you want? Uh, well, my I guess my rankings would have probably been, I would have loved Darcy Kemper, but he was making too much, four and a half. Halak signed for a similar contract. Uh, I think Ronta was around there, maybe a little bit more expensive. Reimer was good. Um, you know, I think there were, like, I wasn't big on Holpe, Jones, or Murat. Those are the three I didn't really, I wasn't too keen on. Because when you look at, at Martin Jones, he hasn't had a save percentage above 900 since 2018. He's been below league average the past three seasons. Granted, San Jose's defense. I mean, when, when you have defense that has Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, and Mark Edward Vlasic, I think that's, Maybe I'll, granted they're probably on the they're all on the wrong side of thirty, but still like those are even in their prime defense. though they couldn't defend. <laughs> yeah, that's that's also true. But at the same time, you know you have to. It doesn't it doesn't make much sense to complain about because it, it's a sunk cost now. Like it's already happened. Like there's nothing you can do but hold on and prove he's a better defense. It, it seems to me that like, you know, it, it's it's a very influenced decision by Kim Dillabaugh and being very very confident in his ability to to fix him. Um. And I and I think that speaks volumes. Granted that you know we only did get him for a year, two million. Um, and, and you know, like I said, if Kim Dillbaugh can can fix him, that'd be great. And a big positive I think coming out of this too is is Carter Hart 100% knows he's the, he's still the guy. So so maybe that's what Chuck Fletcher was thinking too in determining that he didn't want to bring in you know another you know guy that would get into Carter's head maybe. But at the same time, you know, you got to just hope that. Jones finds along the way with the change of scenery, with a better defense in front of him. It's the same thing with Ristolainen. The situation changed. The narrative changed. You can't assess a guy how he was in a different situation, put him in a whole new situation. Like, if I played – if I was the goalie versus Carter Hart, obviously the numbers would be different for the defenseman. 
that'd be no effect on them. It's just the shitty goalies in that now. It's just me. It's not, it's not Carter Hart. You know, it's the same thing. Yeah, I think the, the signing's a little bit of a head-scratcher for me. Um, Hopey was a guy a lot of people wanted, but that the Hopey that has been around since Trotz left Washington is not the same Hopey that has played the last couple of years and certainly not this year. And uh, I, I a really good source out in Vancouver um, that told me that there was a massive crisis of confidence with Hopey as well uh, as the backup to Demko. So that was not the answer, and I was pretty vocal about that on social media. Uh, but Jones is very similar in in the sense that he's struggled the past three years, and a lot of it is based on his environment, and his environment's been shit. But got no rotation in his movements, and you know, not getting there. He, he's trying. It's almost like he's trying to figure out what kind of goalie he wants to be, whether he wants to be a goalie that lives in desperation more, or whether he lives on positioning. Um, and Kim's going to have to get him back to that. I think the reason why um, they went there, I don't think he was their first choice. I think Bernie was the first choice, but he came in and, and New Jersey could just pay more than anybody else like they did with Dougie Hamilton. But um, I think the thing is, if you look back to the beginning of last season, and I talked to Kevin Woodley, and Martin's a, 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 a BC guy. He's a British Columbia guy. And last year at the beginning of the season, the structural elements of Jones's game were much improved. Eventually, they wore down again, and those elements were not present. The rotation wasn't there. The play reading wasn't wasn't there. You know, getting there and set and square and that, that kind of shooting from the hip type of goaltending where he wasn't sure what he was um, reared its head. Now, was that because there was a lot of games last year and practice time? Probably a part of the equation. But the reason, you know, the, the good thing is – that those elements were there at the beginning of last year and that he did improve on those elements. Now it's going to be a little less playing time, a lot more practice time, and getting back to those elements with more consistency that will help him. All the while, the Flyers' defensive environment's got to be much better than it was last year, too, or else he's going from San Jose, which gave up the 31st most, or the the highest amount, rather, of high-danger chances last year, um, to the team that gave up the third most high-danger chances last year in the Flyers. And his look, his expected save percentage last year, based on clear sight analytics, was 885. <laughs> that's hard. I mean, that's a team that just gives up a ton off the rush, ton of east west, and way too many uh, rebounds attempts and screens. So that's going to have to be better uh, for him as well. But it, it was a bit of a head scratcher for me. Uh, I guess you could say Reimer was another guy that I would have probably taken over him. Um, but I think we're splitting hairs at that point. But I think to, to John's Johnny's point, you know who the starter is now. It's not – I mean, it's going to be Carter. Not that he's going to play 60 games in an 82, but he's going to have to play 52, I think, at this point. There's a, a question for you real quick about Carter Hart. I'm not sure uh, if you had the opportunity to – or if you even follow uh, Mike McKenna. Former mm-hmm. goalie, remember him? Yeah. So uh, he, he put out a – I'm sorry. He retweeted something. I just lost it here. I apologize. Give me one second. Was it recent? Yeah. Uh, it was about Carter Hart. Uh, it mentioned that he had questions about his routine. Uh, hang on. Let me just pull it up. All right. Here it is. So somebody asked him a question about Carter Hart, and his response was he believes in him. 
but he always thought the sheer complexity of his routines would eventually be a mental hurdle. Uh, last yep. year, it looked like it. Better D will help, but talking to teammates and loosening up would go a long way, too. Yep. Game's supposed mm-hmm. to be fun. Something uh, I've talked about. And okay. he's right. Here's the deal with that. So, what, goaltending is a position, you know, all goalies in the NHL or high-level goalies are all alpha athletes. And as an alpha athlete, you want to control. You want to dictate the terms, but the position doesn't allow it, right? Because the goaltending position is a reactionary position based on what happens in your environment. And you try and influence as much as you can, but you can only influence so much. And I've never done an actual study on this, but I will tell you that there's a lot of people that played the position that end up, after they're done playing, having issues with OCD to be able to control because you want to control as much as you can. So, cause you can't control in the field of play, you try and control every element around it. And that's with your routine. That's with your diet. That's with your sleep. That's with day of game. What you do when you go roll, when you go stretch, when you dial your eyes in, when you do your static, all that stuff you control with extreme rigidity because when you get on the ice, you lose so much control. So, Kevin Woodley and I talked about it yesterday on a live stream I did that eventually you get to a point where your routine is now controlling you mm-hmm. and that becomes your burden. And what Mac's talking about there and Mike was around Carter for a little bit and I've talked to Mac about this as well. I, Mike and I talk quite a bit. Um, you talk about that. Eventually he's going to have to just fly by the seat of his pants a little bit more and lose that. Because if one thing goes wrong in your preparation or in your timing, it throws you too much. You're, you've become too dedicated to it that you're all of a sudden, all of that control is making you, is weighing you down. Yeah. So eventually it becomes liberating to cut it, to cut elements of it. And then you can just ease your mind. You're almost mentally drained when you get to the game because you've been... Every element is so rigid, rigidly planned that you're almost gassed when you get there. It's almost like playing the game before the game. And Mike's absolutely right. And I think that there, Carter's – it's something I've talked to him about that he's trying to find that balance of control and preparation. And, you know, when you're doing that in junior and you're playing 50 games a year, it's different. When you're playing 80-some games a year, it's a lot different. And, like, he's a guy that needs practice time. He didn't have it last year. Yeah. You know, to work on not, – not just go out there and take two-on-one shots and in flow drills at practice. He needs the time with a goalie coach before to just to work on skating, goalie skating, box movements, you know, work, working through just elements of structure in his game because we saw a lot less structure in his game last year. You know, he's a guy that's always there square – and everything hits him in the logo. That's his. That's the hallmark of his game. Like I remember watching him late in the season before the pandemic hit, and he's having a great season. I remember watching him in practice, and he was doing this movement when he wasn't in the net. And like Brian Elliott was in there working with Kim on the side, and he was like going down to the side and like boom and falling forward. It's called the spread. And it's a save that you see Jonathan Quick use it a lot, where the goalie's coming forward as he's falling. And his legs are out, but the blocker and the glove are up and they're in certain positions. It looks like something that 
just looks like a mess. But there's a ton of structure to it. And you watched him do it on his on his blocker side repeatedly. Same exact movement over and over and over again. Then on the glove side, same thing. And there's going through those things are really important. It's muscle memory. And he didn't have that last year. And that's something that he was really resistant to adding the spread into his game initially. And then when he added it, it became a tool for him. And he like perfected it. And but there's all those things and there and there are there's a ton of like keeping the blocker up is important. And you go like, well, why like leaning forward? That seems like a really bad way to make a save. Anytime anything's going forward for a goalie towards the puck, it's good. Because what it does is if, if I'm here and the bar's here, easy. If I come here and the bar's here, everything's hitting me. So going forward towards the puck is always good. Hands are always out up in front. You know, those are always good things taking away angle. So, um, just all of those elements, you know, and the control is something he's got to let, he's got to let part of that stuff go. And I think he will. Right. And, and, and something like just, you know, kind of bring back a word that I mentioned before is compounding. And you can tell last year he compounded a lot of mistakes. And I don't, and I don't know if it's a carryover from his, um, from his off ice routine into his on ice routine, but you could tell like, like it was everything in his game was collapsing on itself in a sense where, you could tell he was indecisive about his save selection. You, like, as you said, his angles were off. His recovery wasn't as quick. He wasn't tracking the puck as well as he did the year before. And his re- and he, his rebound control wasn't as good either. Yeah. I remember that his first game against... it wasn't hitting against, him in the chest. <laughs> yeah, and it was, almost, uh, it was almost reactive as opposed to how he was attacking the, um, the mm-hmm. year before. And that was, I think, the biggest difference was his aggressiveness and... You could tell that aggressiveness is kind of correlates with confidence. And if yeah, you don't have that confidence. He's a really patient goalie. So he, right. he wants to get to his – like I saw him sliding into saves last year. Like you don't see that out of him. He's a guy that, you know, as a goalie coach, I to every kid I ever coach, I say the same thing. It's Everything is beat the pass. Beat it on your feet. Stay on your edges. And you're sliding into it. Now you're just so limited in what you can do. If you're the, If you beat the pass on your skates, everything's an option. If you if you slide into it, everything's not an option. And the other thing with him, too, is, you know, this was a product of environment because in the beginning of the season, it started out that way. But eventually and I cite this game all the time because this is a great example. They played against the the Boston Bruins and they ended up losing the game five to three. It's when he smashed his stick. And the first three goals of that game, he was beat on all three goals. Backdoor blocker. Like that guy's supposed to be covered and you got to have a trust in your defense. It wasn't. He got beat three times backdoor blocker side. So what happens on the fourth goal? Brad Marchand's standing just above the dot on his left side. Now, he's already been beaten three times backdoor blocker. So what's he do? Human nature. I'm leaning a little backdoor blocker because I got beat there three times and it wasn't covered. So what does Marchand do when he sees he's leaning a half an inch? Or his weight's distributed for the explosive push to the blocker side. He shoots it short side. <laughs> and that drove Carter crazy. Because he's going, I should never give up that short side goal. But why did he give up that goal? Not because he was off his mark and it's just normal. He's off his mark because he got beat three times backdoor blocker. <laughs> and you just can't do anything about it. And the league half an inch off in the NHL is too unforgiving. That beat you. <laughs> and Marchand's a great scorer, and he did. And it, it pissed him off. And you also look at how many 
I've never seen him give up that many goals through his windows either, underneath the arms. How he was, how how much he was leaking last year too. Are you a goalie? I yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I was. Okay. <laughs> You're using yeah. terms that a total telltale sign to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you do what the like Johnny, you know this then. Anything that could, nothing ever goes through me. Like no. if I'm there and it goes through me, fuck. Right. That that's a pisser because you're like, I had everything right until the final part and I let it get through me. We always say nothing through me. Arms got to be in like he's so cognizant of that. Literally, he changed on his stick, his paddle length from junior to flyers. He was using a 26 inch paddle length and he changed it to a 25 and a quarter. So the paddle length. By having it lower. In junior, he could get away with it, and his blocker would be a little further off his body because the paddle had his blocker here. By shaving that three-quarters of an inch, now the grip is here, and the arm is closer to the body, and he closes the seven hole. Right. That's the seven, right? So those things, he's cognizant of that, and you know this. When you give it up through the body or you get a good piece of it and it still goes in, that's a fucking pisser. That's the worst one, yeah. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, you got to <laughs> No, yeah, I mean, you got to demand the shooter and the offense to, to beat you laterally, right? You got to yeah. make them move you side to side. You got to make them work for it. If they're beating you straight up or if you're going down a little bit too prematurely and they're beating you short side, you know, high, that's that's also one of the bad ones. You, you can't get – you, know, you, you always tell your defense, or at least I used to, is, you know, give if it's a two-on-one, give me the shooter. Take away the pass. Okay. Give me the one any day of the week. And that and I think that also and I think that right. also plays well, that guy, other guy can't get the puck. So if I know that, what am I doing as a goalie? First first thing I'm doing is going, okay, I know I got him. I'm going right towards him. So either I can flow with him or I'm just making myself so big he's gonna hit me. I'm giving him and no I, net to look at. And I think that translates into how bad the defense was, especially on odd man rushes last year. You had Phil Myers slide and and Travis Sanon slide and and way overshoot. Where they're sliding into him, yeah. as opposed to taking away one option, you're taking out. He's taking out you, and he's giving up the pass too, and he's not doing anything. Obstruct your ability the to an, make the Andrew. That's the Andrew McDonald defense. Like that's even Provorov though. I remember a game Provorov on a two on one. He he tried to do both things, and when you try and do both, you do none. So, I mean, he should be telling him too. You know, take the pass, take the pass. I got the shooter, and. But, I mean, you shouldn't even have to tell them, to be honest with you. They should know that. Right. Take away the pass. Give me the clear-sighted shot, and I'll take my chances with that guy all day. And when when you do neither, then you're screwed. And if the pass gets through, then you're in a really tough situation. you got to make a desperation save. And that's where you use the spread to, to cover that lower third. And But it's it's it all the wheels fell off the wagon last year as a result of environment, and then he didn't help get it back. Yeah. Well, here's the hoping Carter Hart gets back to having a lot more fun next year. And I imagine he's going to have a lot more fun and have to loosen up because now you don't got one guy from Boston screaming cat hat at you anymore. So, oh, fuck. I, that tunnel's going to be a nightmare. It's going to be like <laughs> kata hot I'm, echo. I'm so excited for the sound bites. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah, this, uh, this Flyers team got a whole lot tougher, and that's real important because as of 10 minutes ago, Ryan Reeves is a New York Ranger. Are you so kidding this, me? No. Fucking way. God damn it. Yeah, I don't really mind that that much, to tell you the truth. Yeah, he can't play hockey. Yeah. (laughs) He He played on my team. 
God, they're I'm sure, they, yeah, but I'll tell you what, the Rangers have been they've went in this offseason with a goal. And that's well, to get Tom. The, their owner told them to, and their owner's name is Tom Wilson. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a good point. They still don't have any centers though. Most well, no. Yeah. Traded Buchnevich. Yes. For Sammy Blay. That's tough. Yeah, they've been making some interesting moves up there. Yeah, and so have the Flyers, and I can't say how excited I am for this season. We got how what is it, 77 days now until this team takes the ice, and they're looking a whole lot more, a whole lot better on the ice, and hopefully a whole lot better in the uh, in the locker room as well. Jason, do you have any closing thoughts on how this team is going to perform next year, and how you think this team may fit? Well, here's the thing, you know, on paper, that's all we can go on right now. The team is much improved they checked a lot of the boxes that they needed to check um but it doesn't mean shit because as you guys know the game is not played on paper it's played on a 200 by 85 sheet of ice where they're chasing around a vulcanized piece of rubber and trying to put it behind a guy that's dressed like a fucking gladiator and a goaltender so there's a ton of variables are they going to be better well the only way we'll really know that is when it takes place but they're in a much better position and i think the general manager um, brought his, brought the balls to this offseason, wasn't afraid to make some really big moves. I mean, you're talking about core players like, you know, guys like Boracek, who was here a long time, guys like Ghost, who was a big part of the solution here for a while. And he made some really savvy moves. I thought he navigated the offseason very well. It was a perfect no. But in a flat cap world, it was never going to be perfect. Nobody's going to have a perfect offseason. And he did incur some risk. But in today's league with 32 teams and parity running rampant, you have to take on risk if you want to get better. You know, are you going to win every one of these trades? Probably not. But collectively, are they going to be a better team right now? If I had to put my money on it, I would say absolutely they will be. And the other thing I think that's really important is that they didn't scapegoat a coach. They didn't. It's on players. I don't ever go to a game to watch the coach coach, you know. These are professional athletes. They got to they play the game and they got to be better. And I think the guys that are still here that were here last year know that they got to be better because of the message of the GM and what took place this offseason. So they're all on notice in that regard. And the, the new acquisitions, I think, are going to be refreshed to come into a new situation that seemingly is good for all of them. So I couldn't agree yeah. more. There's there's a lot of excitement in going into the season. Johnny, do you have any yeah. closing thoughts for us? Or it means more? something again, boys. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think Jason said it right there. I mean, we're actually looking forward to meaningful hockey now. I mean, not that we weren't the last few seasons, but now we have something to look forward to. We got change. I mean, that's like I said before. I think I'm 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 excited to see how the culture changed. I'm excited to see Travis Konecki not break his stick. 10 times a year um, this year. Uh, hopefully he'll loosen up a little bit, giving his stuff off the ice and, um, you know, maybe a little bit more looser voices around the locker room will, will ease him up a little bit. I think trading Nolan Patrick's going to be good for him too. So, um, yeah, no, I'm excited. I think uh, we're, we're moving up. I think, I don't, I don't know if we're in top two position contention in the Metro yet. I think we're three and four right now around that range, but I think we're definitely, uh, definitely in the playoffs. If I were to guess. I would double that bet with you. I definitely agree this is going to be a playoff team. Uh, James, did you have anything for us to end the show with? That's it, man. Awesome show. Uh, I think this was all that was left to do. 
I mean, they, they changed the GM again. They changed the coaches again. Only thing left to do is, you know, change a couple of the players. And I think as fans, we knew that, right? Because we've seen a couple different coaches and GMs. Uh, the one constant has been, you know, some of the guys in, in the room and on the ice. And I think that's why we're excited. You know, I think it, there's a sense of uh, it's not stale anymore. It's, it's fresh. We're going to see something new, you know, something uh, I, I ask it on every show. Who are you turning the Flyers on to watch? I, for me, I couldn't really tell you, you know, maybe Provov, maybe Hart, maybe Giroux. But, you know, they, they weren't they're not players who I get excited to watch. At least now I'm excited to watch something different. How's Cam Atkinson going to work in this roster? Um, Ryan Ellis was one of my favorite players in the league, and now I get to watch him, you know, at 82 games a, a season. Uh, Rista Linen, how's he going to work with – you know, there's things that I want to watch the Flyers for now. So I'm excited, and that's it. Well, James, that sounds pretty positive, and I like positive stuff because this is <laughs> the right side. And, uh, you know, by the time this comes out, Jason Martinez will have interviewed Kevin Hayes and Keith Yandel. So if you haven't listened to that by now, I don't know what the fuck you're waiting for, but go check out those two maniacs on Martinez's podcast. Uh, thank everyone so much for joining us for episode 11. So for Johnny, James, Jason Martinez, and myself, let's go Flyers. Let's go Flyers.